Verse 15 of Matthew 22 says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. They're wanting to trap Jesus. Catch him. They sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. So they were there with some Greek Jews, these religious Jews. And they asked, kind of disguising themselves with the crowd they're in, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. So they're flattering him. They're setting him up. You're fearless. You got it going on. You're a great teacher. We like hearing you. Tell us the truth. And then here comes the trick question. Tell us, therefore, verse 17, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, here's the trick. If he says yes, he stays out of trouble with the Romans, but he gets in big trouble with the hearers who resent the Roman occupation. They hate paying their taxes. They want the Romans gone. But if he says no, he'll please the crowd, but then they'll have evidence to turn him into the authorities and get him in trouble and stop his influence. Trick, tricky questions. Reminds me of a joke I heard uh, Messianic leader Michael Brown tell recently of a uh, village that didn't want to move even though the Pope said they had to move. It was a Jewish village. They wanted all the Jews cleared out. They were doing some sort of inquisition in this joke. And Jews have survived centuries of oppression through humor. So this is something they see as funny. I hope you see it the same. And so the people rose up and says, we're not budging. They sent word to the Pope, we'd rather die than move. And so the Pope challenged them to a debate. He said, whoever wins this debate wins. If you win, you don't have to move. If I win, you're going to have to move. The rabbis got together and said, this is a trick. He's setting us up. We don't trust him. We're going to have to refuse to do that. And a little Jewish peasant, a farmer named Abi, says, I'll do it under one condition, that we don't speak. We debate silently. Oh, the Pope will never go for that. But they sent word to him, and the Pope says, sure, we'll do it. And so the debate came, debate time came. There they are in a public sitting. The crowd is watching with bated breath. How are they going to debate silently? And the Pope opens with him holding up three fingers. And Abby held up one. The Pope shrugged, you know, you got me. So the Pope pointed at the heavens and moved his hand in a giant circle. A.B. pointed his finger to the ground emphatically. Pope shrugged. Well, you got me on that one. So then the Pope pulled out the big one. He pulled out the communion elements and began to partake of the bread A.B. pulled out his brown bag, pulled out an apple and began to eat it. The Pope shrugged and said, you win, you win, you win. 
So later, the Pope was questioned as to how did he discern the thing went, the debate went. He says, well, I held up three fingers for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he held up for one finger for there's only one God. And he's right, so he had me. And then when I pointed to the heavens that God is the God of the universe, he pointed to the ground and said, yes, but we are still here. And he was right. He had me. And then when I broke out the communion elements, you know, the broken body of Jesus for our sins and the blood of Jesus in the cup and the bread, he brought out the apple and reminded us it's all because of the fall of man. He had me. He won the debate. The rabbis pulled A.B. and says, how did you do that? How did you win the debate? He says, well, when he told me we had three days to get out, I told him not one of us is leaving. <laughs> and when he waved his arm and said, all y'all got to get out of here, I told him we're staying right here. And then when he broke out his lunch and began to eat, I broke out mine too and began to eat. <laughs> Trick questions. Verse, nine, verse 18. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, a Roman coin. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? Verse 21. They said, Caesar's. That's all they had to say. He had him now. He said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And Romans 13 1 through 7 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to understand and digest and apply the verses we've looked at today. In Jesus' name, change our lives for your glory, we pray. Amen. Welcome to our citizenship, the final sermon of eight messages 
on our citizens as believers in Jesus. We opened eight sermons ago with the topic, our citizenship as believers in Jesus. We're not so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good, and we're not so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. We love Jesus, we believe in him, and we represent him as citizens in this nation. We looked at our citizenship in heaven and on earth. As believers in Jesus, we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of heaven and we're citizens on earth. And so our earthly citizenship should reflect the values of our heavenly citizenship. We've looked at the fact that our citizenship in heaven is now and future. It's not a citizenship we look forward to, but it's one we already have now, and yet one we're going to enjoy in the future. We've looked at our citizenship on earth involves prophecy and prayer, the proclamation of truth, edification, exhortation, and comfort, and prayer. As we function as believers in this culture, we represent the eternal culture in this temporal realm. We've learned that our citizenship must be respectful, our citizenship must be honorable, that is, worthy of respect, and our citizenship practices honoring. We must be people of honor who extend that honor to others. Today, we're going to conclude the series, Lord willing, with our citizenship must be active. Can you say action? Action. As citizens of heaven, how should we then live in this earthly realm? Jesus said we should give God, give to God and pay taxes to government. We saw this. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He did not just say this to win an argument or to keep from being trapped. He stated it as fact. This is echoed again in Mark 12 and Luke 20 where the same story is told. What is Caesar's and what is God's? That's the question. And the whole debate of separation of church and state is what rights does the government have and what rights does the government not have? What is Caesar's? Well, obviously, our government has a right to have us pay taxes. It's biblical, it's right, and we need government. Imagine living in a land where there's no government. You have total anarchy. If you think we wouldn't, you're naive. Get rid of the police and see how long your stuff lasts. See how long your safety lasts. Empty the jails out and see how long before chaos just completely breaks out. It's not to say that we have perfection. It's not to say that there is no injustice, but things are much better than they would be without government. So God instituted government because of sin. Well, isn't there sin in government? Yes. It cannot eradicate government. That's why we eradicate sin. That's why we need Jesus. Who rules in this house is more important than who rules from the White House. Amen? According to Paul, we should pay our taxes and honor governing authorities. Render, therefore, to all their due, verse 7 of Romans 13, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, or respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. If you made a list of everyone to be honored, who's at the top? God. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the top of our list of humans worthy of the highest respect because he's also God. Can I get an amen? Amen. According to Peter, this is listed in your notes, 
the second chapter of his first letter, we should submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake and to leadership. Therefore, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So these governors are not necessarily the governors of states. They're, they're police. They're law enforcement officials. They help govern our society. And so we are to submit ourselves to them, to every ordinance. Can we say that? Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, if an ordinance is contrary to the Lord and his cause and his sake, there is room for civil disobedience, provided we do it without burning down stuff and killing folks and becoming insane citizens. That's not representing the order of heaven. According to some misunderstanding, these verses in 1 Peter, Romans, and in the Gospels, these verses have been used to prevent our peaceful involvement in government. Well, we're just supposed to submit to every ordinance of man. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, we're just supposed to pay our taxes and just try to be good citizens. Well, we're just supposed to pray and not supposed to do anything. It's as though they live in a world based on those verses that says, don't think, don't ask, pay tax, vote for us. This nation was founded as a constitutional republic with certain ordinances in place for protecting our freedoms as U.S. citizens. So we have a right to appeal authority, a legal means to seek remedy for injustice because of our ordinances. In fact, we're not submitting to our ordinances do we not make an appeal to authority when it's in order. Therefore, we should be involved whenever any of our rights are in danger of being lost or mutilated. We're able to do so while still submitting ourselves. Because of the way our laws are set up, we're able to do this, submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or the governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So we're able to do something about injustice, about law twisting and law breaking because of the ordinances we have as U.S. citizens. And as American Christians, we just can't sit on our blessed assurance and never do anything. You need to register to vote. You need to pray and listen and obey what the Lord tells you to do and meet with other believers and encourage them should they be uh, oppressed. Support legal offices like uh, the Liberty Group and um, Jay Sekulow and others that are fighting injustice, those that are seeking to take away our religious freedoms. According to our U.S. Constitution, religious freedom is included in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Here is the First Amendment, number one on the list of the Bill of Rights. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting 
and establishment of religion. That statement is called the establishment clause. Or, and here's the free exercise clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, Congress shall make no law that prohibits the free exercise of religion. You see that? No law that respects the establishment of religion or has anything to do with establishing religion or prohibiting the free exercise of religion or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is number one on our list of rights as citizens. So... According to our U.S. Constitution, religious freedom is included in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. We just saw that. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's the Establishment Clause. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's the Free Exercise Clause. According to some political activists, the first clause in this amendment Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. The first clause in this amendment is to be used to push separation between church and state, thus violating the second clause. So if a kid wants to lead prayer at his graduation ceremony, thanking God in the microphone, he's being resisted by those in authority saying it's violating the Bill of Rights and actually it's exercising the Bill of Rights. The first Surgeon General of the United States was Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He helped found schools and universities and was the first founding father to advocate free public schools. Consider his views on the Bible and education. In contemplating the political institutions of the United States, if we remove the Bible from schools, I lament that we waste so much time and money in punishing crimes and take such little pains to prevent them. He's talking about Bibles in the public schools. Does he know what the Founding Fathers' intent was? What about separation of church and state? And when it comes to elections, is it right to vote for people based on religion, character, and moral codes rather than politics? When we founded the country, um, the founders wrote the Establishment Clause. And what they were trying to do was to avoid situations like the Church of England uh, or the Church of Holland or the other countries where you were forced to be of a certain religion and you didn't have religious freedom. So our founders passed the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And you say, well, where's separation of church and state in that? Well, it's not in our First Amendment. It's not in the Constitution. It came from a letter that was written over 20 years later uh, by the Danbury Baptist Association to Thomas Jefferson. They were concerned when they saw the free exercise of religion mentioned in the First Amendment. They felt that that might imply that we had the free exercise of religion because the government gave us that right. They didn't believe that. They said this is an inalienable right. It's a God-given right. And so they expressed that concern to the president, to Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson replied 
he totally agreed with them that it was an inalienable right. And the reason that it was put in our First Amendment is just to make clear that the real purpose of both the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, for that matter, was to protect and to provide for the most free exercise of religion that we could have. Now, currently today, we often hear the term separation of church and state misused. It's often attempted to be used to strike down or to prohibit or to restrict religion when clearly in Thomas Jefferson's letter, he is saying there is a wall of separation to keep the government from meddling into private religious matters like where you go to church, what you believe, and the free exercise of your religion. So people need to understand what the true Constitution says. It says none of us want the government to establish a religion for us, but we all have the free exercise of religion. And that means we can be public with our faith. Uh, we can certainly be public whether we're running for public office or going to vote for people for public office. And churches have complete freedom to talk about all the issues of the day, even political issues. They have a right to talk uh, and invite even candidates into their church to talk about the issues. They have a right to pass out voters' guides. Uh, so that is a First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion. And certainly none of us want the government establishing any particular religion for us. This intersection, believe it or not, is in Salem, Oregon. I use this as a visual to visualize what's happening. The First Amendment is to protect us from the state intrusion and the free exercise of our religion. Those who oppose the free exercise of our religion say, no, we don't. You guys can do what you want in your church building. But in the marketplace, you better do what we tell you or you're going to be fined. In other words, your religion can be freely exercised in your church building, but not in the marketplace. That's not what the First Amendment says. So it's nothing at all. The word church isn't even in it. It's the free exercise of religion, and the government shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. In other words... We're not going to have a state church. We don't want a state church, do we? We don't. They do a sorry job of discipling kids. That's what's wrong with Europe. Very small percentage of Christianity now because the, most of those countries all have state churches. People depended on the state to take care of their relation, relationship with God for their kids. Terrible. Does a bad job. It's a personal experience, a personal relationship with God that our faith is established, and we should be free, based on our First Amendment rights, to exercise our faith to function as religious people in the marketplace. So if you have a wedding chapel for husbands and wives to get married based on your religion, you should not be forced or penalized for not allowing two husbands to get married in your thing. Last week, we shared some pictures taken from videos that are available on YouTube, most of which were actually TV broadcast on some of the insanity that's happening in the world of people getting married. We saw a guy married his car. Uh, it was a video of a guy that married his cell phone. Uh, a woman married a warehouse. Another woman married a train station. Uh, somebody married the Eiffel Tower and changed her last name to Eiffel. Um, should we be forced to participate in such things? Well, people should be able to, to marry who they love. Well, 
Okay, the state gives that permission, fine. But as a citizen, do you have religious freedom or not to function as a believer in the Bible and the biblical values that marriage is between a husband and wife or not? That's the issue at hand in this debate. Your rights as a citizen. This week I was going to show you some other pictures of other videos you can see, but I thought, you know, I can just tell them. You can just go to YouTube and enter man marries, and there there are husbands, dozens of crazy things. Or woman marries. There's a guy that has married a doll. Another man has married a robot. Another man has married his horse, a miniature horse. Another man has married his dog. A woman has married herself. Actually, more than one woman has done it. They call it... Uh, Sologamy. Another woman has married a tree. Uh, okay, they've got the freedom to do that, but as citizens who have the freedom to exercise their religion, the government has no business forcing anyone to do what they want. So our citizenship must be active. How active are you? You don't have to burn stuff down and foam at the mouth every time something comes up that you disagree with, but you, you and I need to be a voice, a voice of reason. It's real simple, real simple. The debate's just gone so off the rails, real simple, just you know, if the subject comes up, just point them. All right, let's find the First Amendment. Let them find it for you. Read it and say, how in the world does that mean this? You have to bake a cake for someone that wants to have their gender changed? Should you be forced to do that? And if you don't, should you be fined thousands of dollars? That's happening. If McDonald's wants me to wear shoes and a shirt when I come in their establishment, I should want my craft, my business, be used to reflect my values. It's not that you're turning away people from business, you're just turning your, your faith away from celebrating things that are perverted, defiled, and injur injurious to people that are doing some bizarre things to hurt themselves in the long run. We want to be people of love. For somebody to have their gender change, they have got to have unbelievable self-hatred like you and I cannot imagine. So they need our mercy, they need our love, but they do not need our affirmation. We need to be active. There's some crazy stuff going on. If you remember the Phil Donahue show, years ago we saw these things. Now they're becoming mainstream. Here's Franklin Graham doing what citizens should do, remembering what the Word says, quoting Scripture at our last inauguration. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for King, for all those in authority, that we may live peacefully, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved 
and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. So citizens, our primary action is prayer, but in praying, you should get quiet sometimes and listen. Say, Lord, what would you have me do? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, anything I said that was of you, that it would stick and it would bear fruit, that they would know what they are to do. From registering to vote, to being a voice of reason, to even running for office. Help us, Lord, to do what you would have us do as American citizens of heaven in this earthly realm that is so temporal, that needs our influence. Help us, Lord, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We ask these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This topic is why meetings like tonight are so important, that people of multiple denominations and non-denominations come together often to reflect the love that we have for the Lord, as well as to encourage each other We just give a hand to one of our own members that ran for office and won, Chris Willis. Thank you so much. Pray for him and let's get active ourselves as worshipers of Jesus. Yeah.